Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Yes, it's time for another market spotlight. And I do these episodes to educate you and to also share the opportunities that are available around the United States that you may or may not be aware of. A lot of people are just focused on their local market or what is going on in their own state that they don't realize that there are over 400 metropolitan areas around the country that you can look at and find great investment opportunities. But first, before I get into things, remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss another opportunity or another market spotlight or any other type of education that we are passing along here lovingly and freely. Also, I have this bad habit of keeping Christmas cards and I had a small pile stacked up on my desk here and I picked one up here from very nice lady, Teresa, a client of ours. And I just reread it and she says, Marco and team, I wish you all a wonderful holiday celebration and a prosperous 2020 year. But this is the great part and I'm so thankful for stuff like this. She goes, thank you, Marco, for all you do to help us in believing that anybody can invest in real estate. It is possible. It is not rocket science. I have done it this year thanks to your podcast and the great help from your team. Sincerely, Teresa. You're very welcome, Teresa. Thanks for your trust and your business. And we hope that we can help build a large real estate portfolio for you so you have your financial goals achieved. So today we have a market spotlight on Phoenix, Arizona. The Phoenix housing market was headline news a decade ago when the housing crisis of 2007 and 2008 caused home values there to fall by as much as 50%. But today we see the Arizona real estate market thriving and the Phoenix metro is expected to be among the top five housing markets in 2020. The favorable living conditions there have comforted real estate investors to invest in the Phoenix real estate market. Phoenix is a very large city. It's located in the state of Arizona. It has a population of over 1.6 million people and about 360 constituent neighborhoods. Phoenix is the largest community in Arizona. Unlike some cities, Phoenix isn't mainly white or blue collar. Instead, most prevailing occupations for people in Phoenix are a mix of both white and blue collar jobs. But overall, Phoenix is a city of sales and office workers, service providers, and professionals. And there are especially a lot of people living in Phoenix who work in office and administrative support. That makes roughly about 14% of the jobs there. Another 11% or so are sales jobs, and another 9% are management-based occupations. Also of interest is that Phoenix has more people living there who work in computers and math compared to 95% of the other markets across the United States. So it's a very... I guess, well-educated metropolitan area because people are very much into computers and math in terms of their jobs and careers. Now, what about the Phoenix home market in terms of appreciation rates and whatnot? In the last 10 years, Phoenix has experienced some of the highest home appreciation rates of any community in the nation. Phoenix real estate appreciated about 105% over the last 10 years, which is an average home appreciation rate of about 7.5%, which puts Phoenix in the top 10% nationally for real estate appreciation. So if you are a home buyer or a real estate investor, Phoenix definitely has a track record of being one of the best long-term real estate investments in, in the U.S. over the last 10 years. And appreciation rates are so strong in Phoenix that despite a national downturn in the housing market, 
Phoenix real estate has continued to appreciate in value faster than most communities. Looking at just the last 12 months, Phoenix appreciation rates continued to be some of the highest in the US, right around the 5.4% rate of appreciation, which is higher than appreciation rates in 77% of cities and towns across the country. Based on the last 12 months, short-term real estate investors have found great fortune in the Phoenix market because Phoenix appreciation rates in the last quarter were about 1%, which if you annualize it is over 4%. But the interesting thing is that appreciation rates over the last 12 months ending the last quarter of 2019 was 5.4%. And if you go back 24 months to the end of 2019, it worked out to be 15.5%. Very, very healthy appreciation. Now, one important thing to keep in mind is that these are average appreciation rates for the city. Individual neighborhoods within a market differ in their investment potential and sometimes buy a lot. And the last comment I want to make about the Phoenix metropolitan area, looking at it from a national perspective, the rent growth there has been very strong. It ranks at the 82% range on a scale of 1 to 100. So compared to all other markets across the United States, the rent growth in Phoenix has been very robust and healthy. It, so it, it just ranks compared to other markets at the 82% mark, which is not normal or sustainable for a long, long period of time, but it just means that things are growing and very strong and healthy. So let's get on with the interview. I'm going to bring on one of my investment counselors here. With me today is Steve, one of our senior investment counselors here and our point person with our builder in the Phoenix, Arizona market. So Steve, hey, welcome to the show. Hey, I am a veteran of the show. It's been a little while, but it's good to be back. I was just going to say that. I was going to say it's been a while since I had you on. So it's great to have you back on. Yes, everybody has since recovered and you can have me back now. <laughs> they can only tolerate you <laughs> once a year. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, I can tolerate you weekly, so it's good. All right, cool. It's good to be back. It's an exciting day because we're going to be talking about the new investment opportunities in the Phoenix metropolitan area. And these happen to be new construction triplexes, which look fantastic. And they're in a great area. And it's a really a part of the Phoenix market that has been growing tremendously. So I always like to start at the top and work my way down. And I always like to ask the question, you know, is Phoenix a good place to invest in real estate? And when I talk about Phoenix, we're talking about a very, very large metropolitan area geographically and population wise. But from a high level, Steve, why invest in the Phoenix market? And is it a good place to invest? Yeah, that's a question I get a lot. You know, I, I run point with our builder team in a couple of markets, this being the latest one where these new builds happen. And many people, when they think about good markets, they don't think of Phoenix because you know they've got trauma from 08, right? Phoenix was one of the areas that took it on the chin just about harder than anybody else due to a lot of the speculation. And also the economy just wasn't really diverse um, back then. But you know, as I've kind of helped launch into that market, you see that the Phoenix Metro is a metro that has grown up a lot. And I would encourage everybody to research that. It's no longer just a tourism and construction-based economy. It's extremely diverse. You know, We've got government and healthcare and tech and logistics and then a whole bunch of different kind of job fields 
So the, the increases they've seen in values and in rents in Phoenix are justify a broad employment base that now exists there. So it's very business friendly. You know, state of Arizona is that way. It's business friendly and it it's just um, well, you would appreciate this. It's just sucking jobs out of California left and right because it's near the West Coast. It can be a good logistical hub for the West Coast, but it also can benefit from some of those landlord-friendly policies that investors want to see and still be in the in the Western United States, which is kind of hard to do with the turnkey business model. Traditionally, land values are so much higher in the West. So we're really excited about it for those reasons. Well, the economy has gotten so broad. You actually even have healthcare, retail, of course, accommodation, construction, finance. A lot of banks are headquartered there. Maybe not their main headquarters, but certainly you know a regional headquarter. Lots in terms of education. So a very broad economy locally. And that's good to see because you don't have one of the one-trick pony markets that I talk about often, like being dependent on oil and gas, especially when oil and gas drops to $20 a barrel. You know, it certainly affects people economically and otherwise. So a broad economy is important and you've got that in the Phoenix metro area. And you make another really good point because there have been companies and people moving out of California for over 10 years, probably closer to 20 years. I remember first talking to someone back in 2003 who used to live here in Southern California and said, I'm moving out of state. I'm going to move to Dallas or Birmingham, Alabama, somewhere out there. And I asked him why. He said, well, it's getting expensive and the taxes are high and regulations are terrible and on the list went. And so recipients of the California migration, out-migration have been Las Vegas, Phoenix, definitely everywhere in Texas. Those are really the, the main ones, but even Idaho is well known, you know, because there's some new construction going on up there as well. I mean, Phoenix was ground zero back in 2008 when, you know, we had the Great Recession that was a fallout from the housing market implosion. So Las Vegas and Phoenix and Southwest Florida were three areas that were ground zero for that housing market implosion. But Phoenix is on, you know, the rebound. In fact, it, it's been growing a lot. It's been appreciating very strongly over the last five plus years. Major employers. I mean, who are some of the major employers out there? Well, Phoenix is the capital of Arizona. You have a ton of government jobs, right? They're on the north side. You'll see the, the Mayo Clinic, right? A lot of medical hospital and research. There's a lot of logistical, right? Because the 10 freeway comes in from Southern California, right? And joins up there in Phoenix. And so it's a natural hub for trucking and transportation jobs. You've got a big, big Air Force Base, Luke Air Force Base. They're on the west side, not too far from where some of the projects that we're building are located. Phoenix does benefit from and get a significant amount of tourism and hospitality. They're not loving that right now, of course, right, with the virus situation. But eventually, we expect that to return because it's such a destination city, right? With that medical, you get tons of people coming in. They have winter and homes and come and live in the Phoenix metro. So plus the education, right? Big universities, multiple universities in the Phoenix metro. So we could look up a whole list and rattle off names, but those are the sectors that you're going to find uh, predominantly when you look into that. Yep. State of Arizona is the, probably the biggest one and surprisingly Walmart. <laughs> Walmart is a huge <laughs> employer out there. Like I said, the logistical too, right? It's their, the 10, the eight, you know, the, the 10 goes all the way from LA, I think it dead ends in Jacksonville, right? And so Phoenix is a good natural first stop for that that California exodus, as you say. Right. So 
do you want to comment about price and rent growth in the market? I know that it's been on a tear for a little while here. What can you tell us about price growth and rent growth in the Phoenix market? Well, it's been very strong, right? Because of you, you've had this catapulting out of the Great Recession, right? You, you could argue that the Great Recession did create almost a permanent renter class. We had one before, but I mean, you've got a whole generation of millennials that saw their parents just get hammered in 2008, and they've been adverse to buying homes. And Phoenix itself has seen one of the highest growth in millennial population out of anywhere, right? Due to the opportunity they see there. But yeah, they haven't wanted to buy homes as much. Yet there have been plenty of people that have due to that, the availability of land, right? The availability of labor, that's been extremely difficult across the board, especially in those markets like Phoenix, because you look at the market crashing in 08, a lot of those people that were tile setters, worked in foundation and plumbing and electrical, they went away and they never came back, right? And that's largely what contributed nationwide to our housing shortage. And it's, it's especially exacerbated in Phoenix. But the great thing about it is, Marco, is that the incomes have been there to justify it. And we haven't seen this run away and see a huge disparity in you know, average mortgage payment and average rents versus what people make, right? It's been justified. And you could say in 08, a lot of the people that got mortgages probably didn't deserve to get them, right? They call them ninja loans, no income, no job, no assets. And that's just not been happening in, in this particular case. So we've seen that growth. It's a big metropolitan area, Phoenix is, right? Much of the rent growth that we've seen has been on the west side of the valley. Of course, happens in Scottsdale and Mesa. But uh, we work on that west side of the valley because it's been underserved. A lot of the housing there is either old or it's just new single family. Somebody needs to serve those tenants that want a nice, clean place to live that's not really old. And so there have been excellent rent growth there on the west side, typically hitting you know 4 or 5% a year for a number of years. And that looks really good on your rents when you hold that property over time. Yeah. And that lends to the stability and the fundamentals of a market, because if you become very unaffordable, it changes much of the dynamics in a market. You see more people pushed into the rental pool, appreciation rates start to slow down. Not that that's the be all end all, but you got to have a healthy housing market. And when incomes are in lockstep with price growth, that means that there's just going to be sustained growth and stability in that market. And the latest Phoenix real estate market forecast, and this is just an article that we published on our blog, our website here recently, which has a ton of information and data. The latest real estate market forecast is that home prices will continue to increase for the next 12 months by an estimated 5.2%. So 5% per year is a very, very healthy rate of appreciation. And that will get to a point where it becomes unsustainable and and becomes unaffordable. But as it stands today, that is what I would call a growth market. That is a very healthy rate of growth. Correct. Yeah. And I, while we're talking, you know, I pulled up the CoStar report. I have a subscription to CoStar and um, they're reporting in the West Valley Metro where we focus the the average rent growth has been 5.9%, which is great, but you make a, a good point. It can't go like that forever. It's a good way to analyze this market invest in it is to go, hey, if I get that, that's great. But the job growth and the job rate has been so good. If you just if you didn't really get very much of that at all, you would still have a, a home run on your hands just due to the 
the stability, the ability to keep tenants and lease properties and, and be in a very good diverse market whose population is really, really growing. So for people listening to us here, Steve, I think one important takeaway from this is that when you're looking for a market, if you are in the cash flow camp, you're going to get cash flow in this market. But if you're in the growth camp and that is your main focus and overall strategy, this is definitely a market to have on your shortlist because the Phoenix metropolitan area and, and more specifically suburbs within the Phoenix metropolitan area are strong growth markets. So if your focus is to build equity as quickly and as fast as you can, this is definitely a market to be looking at right now. You can't make predictions 10 years from now. It's hard to make predictions for five years from now, but it's not that difficult to make predictions for the next 12 months, maybe the next 24. So if you're looking for a growth market, this is something to take a serious look at. Absolutely. Yeah. We would never recommend something that doesn't cash flow, right? Or that's not likely to cash flow. You know, you would get more in, in a smaller Midwestern market if you're just a strict rent to value ratio type investor, but you're going to get some good multidimensional benefits in something like this with the cash flow growth. Um, there are some excellent tax benefits that come from building new. And that that's probably a discussion for another day. But if you're about minimizing your tax liability, new construction multifamily like this is going to be very, very effective for you to do. So that would spin us off into a great tangent. But what I'm going to suggest is that anybody interested in that conversation contact their investment counselor here. If you don't have one, then just fill out the form on our website. We'll immediately assign you to one within 24 hours and you can have that conversation. But this is a good segue to talk about the areas and neighborhoods that we're focusing on there. And neighborhoods, I say this all the time, are very important. And they certainly can range from you know, the low-income C-class neighborhoods up to the higher-income A-class, more premium-type neighborhoods. So as far as what we're building out there as triplexes, what kinds of neighborhoods are we focused on? Maybe tell us what you can about the neighborhood, Steve. Oh, yeah, sure. It's a big metro, like I said, lots of different cities in the metro. And it's a pretty well-known one too, right? Everybody knows what Scottsdale is. Most people know what, what Mesa and Gilbert are. And those are really nice areas. It's extremely difficult to buy and develop land and sell a triplex product to an investor that's going to give you a good return because of the price of the land, right? So you got to walk that line between buying where there's demand, but also buying where you can, where you can produce a rate of return. We found that to be predominantly for what we do on the west side. So you're looking at cities over there like Peoria, Glendale, Surprise, El Mirage, Goodyear, uh, just to name a few, that are still well within the core of the metro, but they're enough that to where tenants can, they want to live there, they're going to have a commute of anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes in most cases, and where you're targeting primarily working class tenants. Because uh, what's interesting about the Phoenix market, compared to most other markets where we operate in Nevada, is there's a heavy build-to-rent presence in Phoenix, right? We all we know about these build-to-rent institutions that are going and you're going to build 100 single-family homes in, in one community and, and hold it. That's been happening in Phoenix. But that and the apartment building that's going on tends to target A-class apartment dwellers because that's a profitable margin for builders and so, you know, when we talk about a class, I don't want to belabor the point, but you're usually talking quartz countertops and a beautiful clubhouse with 
somebody on staff all the time that'll receive packages and a, a dog washing station and a, you know a pool that makes you think you're at the Ritz, right? That's predominantly what has been built in Phoenix. And that's all well and good. And you and I would probably choose to live there, right, Marco? But flip it around. Other than that, what's available is maybe some older single family homes or older C-class apartments that are run down. We're really trying to target that B product, right? Somebody who says, I need a two-bedroom unit. Maybe I can, but I don't necessarily want to afford an A-class unit. It's too much for me, too much of a strain on the budget. But I don't want to go live in an old house. I don't want to go live in a rundown apartment complex. I need something clean, newish, with some good amenities. And, and the, the project that we're going to do there on the west side, it's actually right where El Mirage and Surprise meet. It's in the very top northwestern corner of, of El Mirage. Right the, across the street is Surprise. In fact, behind it, while still in El Mirage, is Surprise Elementary School. It it's literally shares a, a border with the elementary school. So we're targeting that tenant that wants that. They're going to get a gated community with a clubhouse, a workout facility, a playground for the kids with the sunshade, because this is Phoenix, right? We got to have the sunshade and a pool. So they have those kinds of amenities, but not for an over-the-top price. So we're real estate investors. What's the rental market like in those areas you just described? Well, it's much of what I just told you. It's There's demand because on that side of the city, you have a lot of those logistical jobs, those blue-collar jobs, right? If you're if you're the uh, anesthesiologist, you're going to live in Scottsdale, but some of his staff may live on the west side. It just kind of depends, right? But the rent growth, I mean, the evidence is there. When you're looking on the west side of the valley, almost 6% annual rent growth, it tells you that these people do need a, a, a clean place to live. It reminds me a lot of a project that we did in, in Utah that was very similar. You're targeting those logistical people and the B-class apartment market is underserved. That's what we're after. So anytime you're getting rent growth, that points to the fact that the demand is outstripping supply and that that, uh, rental activity is healthy. So Steve, I keep a running dynamic list, if you will, of the markets around the US, the top 405 metropolitan statistical areas. And I track different things on there, such as cash flow potential, the median house price, and rent growth. And the Phoenix metro area, the MSA as a whole, not necessarily El Mirage, it ranks number 82% or the 82nd percentage, if you will, on that chart of 405 properties. So the rent growth has been very, very strong in the Phoenix metropolitan area, which is, of course, great if you're a landlord, a property owner. Not so good if you're a tenant, you know, because you're seeing strong year over year rental increases. But it's been a very, very hot market, both in terms of price appreciation and rent appreciation. Yes, it has. You know, it's recovered really well from the Great Recession. So do you want to touch upon maybe the demographics of the tenant base that are there? You mentioned, I think, nurses or doctors there a minute ago. Is that pretty typical in these areas? Well, I said that the doctor is going to live in Scottsdale, right? We all know what Scottsdale is, but his office assistant or or staff may live in somewhere more affordable like this. I've pulled the neighborhood scout data on this neighborhood. Most people have anywhere from a 10 to a 30-minute commute. Without traffic, you're like a 30-minute shot to downtown Phoenix. But remember, this is a large, large metro. This isn't 
a, a situation where everybody works downtown. No, of course. There are multiple employment centers scattered throughout here. You're going to be in this particular neighborhood, you're going to be renting to smaller young families, singles, right? Maybe a couple with no kids, right? We're, we're doing a two-bedroom unit because you don't see as many larger families looking to rent in that neighborhood. It's more of a small family couples or, or even some singles and, and millennials that just want the two. They need a little more space than the one, right? There is a market for one-bedroom units. I'm looking at it on my CoStar report right now. But that market for the twos, we think, is healthy because of the type of demographic that lives there. You're looking at these at these blue-collar jobs in logistics or, or hospitals or even some uh, education to a degree. It just kind of depends on the position. Okay. Well, that is a great opportunity to talk about the investment opportunities, the properties themselves. So let's talk about the deals that people can invest in today. You know, properties vary from market to market, of course, and neighborhood to neighborhood, but we're talking about something that's pretty well-defined and specific here. It's new construction, and these are triplexes or three-unit properties. So describe this property class or property type and what is being built, and uh, let's just kind of dive into this and, and paint the picture of what is, uh, is available. Yeah, so it's a master-planned project of triplexes, right? There are about 40 of them available in the subdivision. What will happen is it's a gated community and the triplexes are vertical stacked, right? So the bottom floor is one unit, the middle floor is another, the top is another. And that, that is a triplex, right? And they're typically connected by common area stairwells that are operated and insured by the HOA. And we do, you know, sometimes HOA is a dirty word in this world, but the HOA in this case, Whenever you're doing a project that is segmented and has multiple investors in it, you need somebody that holds everybody to the same set of, of rules and make sure that there's common insurance and common maintenance in place. But so they've got that vertical stack. And like I told you, there's a clubhouse and a pool that they'll have access to. You're looking at a purchase price of just over a half a million for a triplex in this project. When we play the compared to what game, that's vastly superior to anything that's available on the open market in the Phoenix Metro. If you're looking for triplexes or quads or something there, you're going to get a really low cap rate. And you're going to be at something very, very old, probably in a rundown part of town. If it's not, then it's very, very expensive. So this is a good balance between new construction, but also at a price that around a half a million bucks in this market, that's, that's very good. And you know, if you're talking Dayton, Ohio, right, half a million bucks is like 30 houses. <laughs> but in Phoenix, that goes a, a long, long way. And it's each unit, like I said, is a little over a thousand square feet. It's a two bed, two bath, has a balcony, right? There's we've also got some garage storage on site that the tenants have the ability to rent and have a little bit of extra space for cars or or extra belongings and, and things like that. So the two bed is just a nice predictable model to build in a community like this. And what are those pulling in in terms of uh, gross rent, monthly rent per door? We're projecting based on some of the comps in the area and what we know about the units, anywhere from 1250 to 1300 a month per door in a project like that. Okay. Well, of course, it's new construction. There's no maintenance, no deferred maintenance. It's, you know, everything's brand new under warranty. It's, you know, it's all the the great things that people love. 
and maybe are biased towards when it comes to new construction properties. So in terms of availability, meaning what's being built now in the future, I'm talking about total inventory. What is the lifespan of what is being built? How long will it be available? How much of it's going to be available? So the first phase begins construction in September of this year. Just about to close on the ground, begin all the horizontal development, right? You got to bring in your roads and your utilities and, and go through the entitlement process with the city. And they're glad to have us. So that's been easy to do so far. Some cities aren't always glad to have you, right? They're, they're tough to deal with, but this hasn't been the case here. They want the product. They want it. And they view it as an asset to the city. So the first phase starts in September, and then we have one phase starting every month through the end of the year. So investors can reserve, say, I, uh, I really like unit Y in the October phase, for example, right? They could reserve on that, and we help them get set up with construction financing and, and uh, get to the close of the, the finish line. Because that's how you're able to sell in a market like Phoenix in the Western US. That's how you can get a cap rate of north of 6% as you go pre-construction. If an investor is willing to take a little bit of risk. Like I told you, if you want to buy something brand new that's already done, you're not getting anywhere near that. You're going to be at a cap rate of probably sub five in a market like Phoenix because of the desirability and the rent increases that have, that have happened over time. People have really benefited from that and it really compressed the cap rate. So yeah, you're looking at this fall sometime. They'll probably deliver later next spring, maybe into the summer, depending on which phase you're in, of course. But that, that's about what to expect. And you can reach out to your investment counselor to get you, your details on that. Can you take a second just to explain to people why the cap rate would be lower if you're buying it already built or down the road as opposed to now where it's pre-construction, you're reserving it, having the builder build it. You don't take ownership and control of that property until six months down the road, maybe longer. Why is there a benefit right now? What are investors gaining by getting involved in the pre-construction phase? So anybody listening, and you know this, Marco, that has a real estate license, when you study to get your license, a lot of times you spend some time on the concept of highest and best use, right? When we look at real estate, when we want to value it, we say, what is the absolute highest and best use for that land, right? So a farm in downtown Los Angeles is not the highest and best use, right? That's obviously going to be a multi-story skyscraper for office and residential apartments. So when we look at a raw piece of dirt within a, an approved triplex development, a raw piece of dirt is obviously not operating at its highest and best use. The highest and best use is a built and rented triplex. So when we take a project to our builder teams and it's pre-sold with investors who have construction financing in place, which will help you to do, it takes a tremendous amount of risk off of a builder's shoulders, right? You know that. You've built before that you know, when you're going to build and you have to spec properties, meaning you build them all the way and then you cross your fingers that somebody will buy them, you're going to price that risk in, right? Because you got a bunch of financing and time and, and risk associated with it. But when you can tell a builder, hey, look at this. This is already sold to 30 investors. They all have financing in. The builder can say, great. That's a lot less expense and hassle I have to incur. And he has to offer a price to an investor that makes him want to do that. If he was selling at the market price, nobody's going to do that. Why would you buy at market and then wait 12 months before you have a completed property? That would be dumb. So he has to put a cherry on top. He has to give a, a spread there. So 
if you were to build that product, fill it with tenants, you're going to be able to sell it for more than what you bought it for traditionally because you've taken the risk out of the equation. There are a lot of investors out there that just don't like the risk. So if something is brand new and cash flowing with tenants, they're willing to pay. They're willing to pay a lower cap rate for that because they didn't want to do all the waiting. It's pretty similar, Marco, to you know, in the apartment world, people talk about value adds, right? A value add is go buy an old junky apartment building, kick out the bad tenants, renovate the units, gradually move people back in and raise the rent. And because you've raised the operating income, the property is now worth more. You gained value by doing so. You brought it up to its highest and best use. So I joke that this is just an armchair value add, right? You're going through construction, you've hired a builder and property management team to do all that for you, but you brought the income up. You brought it into its highest and best use. And that is traditionally worth something to the market. And so what you're walking into and walking away with after you close escrow on this property after it's built six months from now or whenever it may be, is you've basically built yourself an equity position from the get-go because you're contracting at a very specific price, which is below the fair market value today. And correct me if I'm wrong. So you're already walking into a position of equity now. And then on top of that, if you want to call it the cherry on top, you have the potential of gaining additional equity or price growth in that property while it's being built over the next six months or eight months, whatever it is. So is that still true? Because I know that was true with a lot of the other new construction fourplex projects in Houston and Idaho and other places. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and we're never going to sit here and guarantee it, right? But the principle holds that when you're bringing it up to its highest and best use, generally a, a metropolitan area, or at least a neighborhood, has a cap rate that will absorb on the open market. That's just a fancy way of saying if you're selling your triplex, right? You can look at your rents, your expenses, and you can determine a cap rate that the market is willing to accept, right? And then you can list your your property for sale and it will sell because you're selling at the cap rate that the market wants. Well, in this case, you're buying below, or I'm sorry, at a better cap rate than the market wants because you took on that risk of going through the build and that hassle that comes from, from going through that process. So that's really all you're doing here. I think for that not to be the case between when you started construction, when you're done, I mean, you'd have to see rents plummet or or supply of other properties just increase dramatically, which has historically not been the case. I don't think it's probably going to happen with this uh, COVID situation either, because all these moratoriums and delays and programs, you know, we went into this situation with very low supply and you would have to see a dramatic reversal in the supply and demand equation in these markets. And I, I think it's really, it's going to be extremely politically taboo for banks to do a rash of foreclosures on people affected by COVID. So I don't think we would see enough supply to dramatically offset things. I think that there's still going to be a market for residential real estate. And that really is the one thing you have to get comfortable with as an investor is saying, okay, I think that a new construction property in this neighborhood, you know, with the, this data, these numbers is a good investment for me. And I think that will still be the case in a year or 18 months, right? Do what you got to do to get familiar with the, the neighborhood demographics, the employment trends, and, and understand that, that that's a reasonable amount of risk to take. 
If you don't think that, if you think it's going to be dramatically different, then you wouldn't be the kind of investor to go the, the pre-construction route. But if you get that and you want to do it, there's value to be gained because you brought clean new inventory onto the market that's now rented. Yeah, I agree with you. And as of where we sit today, fundamentally, there is still a lot of pent-up demand for housing and a shortage of housing. In fact, this whole COVID virus thing probably is going to have a reduction in the available amount of housing for sale by approximately 40%, which means that you're still going to have a large group of people who want to buy houses and whatever else they're buying, condos, but you're not going to have the same amount of listing inventory available on the market to fill that demand. So not only do we have demand outstripping housing supply, which is a problem, good if you own property, good if you're a real estate investor, but you're going to have less inventory this year going forward to fill the existing need for the people who have the capacity and willingness or need to be buying. So it's an interesting dynamic and problem, but that problem creates an opportunity for others. And so it's, again, I say, it, I say this often, it's a great time to be a real estate investor. Yeah, I agree. I think that this COVID situation will actually exacerbate this supply demand problem. I, I can't envision a situation where it throws that out of balance and we have a massive amount of, of supply versus demand like in 08. My mom, actually, this is a personal experience, but I remember back in 08, she was having a tough time and she called, it was City Mortgage who had the, the servicing on her property. And she called and they said, oh, you can get a loan modification. Uh, you just have to miss a couple of payments and then you'll be eligible and that your new payment will be X. Well, it's no surprise, Marco, that the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand at the bank. So she's missing mortgage payments thinking, no, she's going to qualify for this loan modification. And instead, what happens? He gets a foreclosure notice. And I think that that is going to be, like I said, extremely politically taboo to do those kinds of things, especially to people that have suffered because of COVID. You're gonna, you've already seen, albeit it's clunky, I get that. When you roll something out quickly on a mass scale, or you're going to have fits and starts. But I just don't think they're going to aggressively move to foreclose on tons and tons of people all at once. And even if they did, there used to be an old saying out there that, hey, if you want to get a great deal on a property, buy a bank-owned property because banks aren't in the real estate business. They've got to let go of them. Uh, That's not really true anymore. (laughs) The banks are so flush with cash that they can afford to sit on these. And if you remember at the end of the Great Recession, getting a deal on a bank-owned property, that wasn't even really a thing. The deals were mediocre at best because the banks could afford to sit on them and get the market price for them. And you combine that with high demand, low supply, I don't see a situation where a massive amount, you know, they called it the shadow inventory back in the day, where that's just going to collapse prices. I can't find that situation in my brain anywhere. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, again, we're talking about fundamentals in the housing market. And, you know, it's a, it's a long departure from talking about the triplexes and the properties that are the investment opportunities of the day. So just to kind of bring the conversation back to the properties and kind of wrap that up and, and then just close up with the management piece of it. Uh, just tell us quickly about the warranties that are on these properties. What does it include? How long is it? It's, what's great is it's a new build. Okay. So that, and it's a new build within a master plan community. So the HOA is actually responsible for most of your insurance. So sometimes if you're looking at a pro forma, that can be a little deceiving where you might be counting insurance in your HOA, 
and then adding a whole bunch under an insurance line item, you're double counting it. So they're insuring the building and all of the exterior, much of the capex and, and exterior maintenance you would need to account for. You don't have to do in this case because of those things. And then you've got a one-year builder warranty. So leaky sinks or you know flooring is coming up in the corner of the bathroom or something like that, that's a builder warranty. And the property management team correlates directly with the builder on that to just satisfy those warranties. So, you know, you, you people think of new construction as very low maintenance, and that's mostly true. But remember, you know, you build something new, it's going to get broken in, right? People are going to move in and, and they're going to start using it. And you find out where the errors were in the construction. So it's nice to be able to work that out on a builder warranty dime where the tenants are in there and, and it's the builder getting those charges. So you've got that one-year warranty and you've got all the exterior maintenance handled by the, the HOA. So it ends up being a very low low drama property from a maintenance standpoint. Agreed. Okay, good. So property management being very important, especially for a long distance or out of state real estate investor, briefly describe the property management that we have on site there in El Mirage. Yeah. So property management only does our properties, right? So they charge a low management fee of 7% of the gross rents collected. And they also, what's cool about many of these communities, They'll coordinate all the, the handoff from the builder, do final walkthroughs when it's done, and do all that lease up and ongoing rent collection. So they're there to answer questions. They're there to talk about marketing. Uh, you know, sometimes, like if your units come online in the dead of winter, that's a slower marketing time, as many people know. And they'll work with you on incentives and things to get rented. Uh, this time of year, you know, we're recording this in May. You don't have to do that really. It's in, most properties rent really well this time of year. So, and they do it for seven, which seven is a pretty good rate uh, compared to what the average is in most metros. Most metros are anywhere from eight to 10. So seven is a, is a great rate that allows you to capture a little bit more cash flow that's not going to management. 7% is a great rate. And uh, a comment about the season, I don't think the winter time in a market like Phoenix has a major impact outside of the holiday season, which is you know Christmas and New Year. The weather's nice. I mean, it's not difficult to move. You're not having to plow through a bunch of snow and, you know, ice cold weather. So there's good weather and then there's great weather, unless you call like 112 degrees heat, you know, good weather. Some people might say that's terrible, but it is what it is. So uh, you can move virtually any time of the year. Yeah, well, yeah, Phoenix is beautiful in December. And I would say the only caveat there would be schools, right? Sometimes people revolve their, their leases around when school starts, but you know, remember that I'm not so sure that our target demographic in this particular project would be heavily influenced by that. You know, we're not talking about big families here, and we're probably talking about younger, younger kids. So I would expect to see that be less of an impact. Right on. So, Steve, anything else you want to talk about regarding the market or these investment opportunities before we uh, close it up? If I do, you and I are going to start chasing a squirrel and talk about a whole bunch of other things. We, we better <laughs> hang it up while we're ahead. We do that all the time before and after our calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're probably an hour from being done. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, these uh, new construction triplexes are a great opportunity. It's very solid neighborhood and fundamentally speaking, a phenomenal market. Phoenix seems to be a great place to live and work. And, um, you know, it's come around. So there's a lot of strength and opportunity there. Steve, I appreciate you coming back on. Thanks for your time here. We'll get this out as quickly as we can. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I'll come bother you again soon. Okay, Steve. Thank you.
And so that wraps it up for today. If you want a free strategy session with one of my investment counselors, go ahead and fill out the form on our website. We will set that up within 24 hours and you can find out more about the different markets that we are working in and have investment opportunities available for you through our network and team of people. If you have a question about real estate investing, just go to the website and submit that. In fact, go to PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com and click the Ask Marco button and let me know what's on your mind because that could become a whole topic of conversation for a future episode. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe, share the show with other like-minded people. Thank you for listening and we will see you on our next episode. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.